Evening, everyone. Uh, thank you, Sarah. If you have a Bible, I could invite you to turn to uh, Acts, or Acts, no, that's this morning. Uh, Second Samuel, no, I definitely have tonight's sermon here. Second Samuel uh, chapter 9, it's page 312 in the, in the Red Pew Bibles. In 2013, 2014, we spent about six months following David's story from kind of shepherd boy to giant slayer to fugitive and then to king. And three weeks ago, we started a new Sunday evening service a series kind of picking up from that point whenever David does become king. And this chapter that we're going to read, 2 Samuel 9, occurs not that long after David has been enthroned as the second king over all Israel. So as we often do here at Windsor, let's stand for the public reading of God's word. 2 Samuel chapter 9, David asked, is there anyone still left in the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of Saul's household named Ziba. They summoned him to appear before David and the king said to him, are you Ziba? At your service, he replied. The king asked, is there no one still alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? Ziba answered the king, there is still a son of Jonathan. He is lame in both feet. Where is he? The king asked. Ziba answered, he is at the house of Michar, son of Amiel in Lodabar. So King David had him brought from Lodabar, from the house of Michar, son of Amiel. When Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. David said, Mephibosheth, at your service, he replied. Don't be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will always eat at my table. Mephibosheth bowed down and said, what is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? Then the king summoned Ziba, Saul's steward, and said to him, I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and your servants are to farm the land for him and bring in the crops so that your master's grandson may be provided for. And Mephibosheth, grandson of your master, will always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, your servant will do whatever my lord the king commands his servant to do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a young son named Micah and all the members of Ziba's household were servants of Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table. He was lame in both feet. Grab a seat. In, uh, in the previous chapter, chapter 8, we read how, how David had kind of confronted and defeated a lot of, a lot of em enemies, potential upstarts. If you, if you scan down chapter 8, it's a pretty harsh read. It's a pretty harsh chapter. Thousands of people are killed in that chapter. And some of the tactics that David employed to determine who to kill were strange. Have a look at verse 2 of, of chapter 8. David also defeated the Moabites. He made them lie down on the ground, and he measured them off with a length of cord. Every two lengths of them were put to death, and the third length was allowed to live. I have no idea what is going on there. 
But some of the tactics that David employed as he defeated his enemies were, were, were strange to say the least. But as a result of David's military success, he was in a good place, a really good place at the beginning of chapter 9. In terms of foreign policy, everything was relatively secure and it was peaceful. And in terms of domestic policy, there was, you'll see at the end of chapter 8, there was justice and there was equity for all the people. And so David has cemented his reign as king. He's established his leadership at home and abroad. And then in the chapter that we've just read, he turns his attention to a really personal issue regarding a son of Jonathan. And I actually think 2 Samuel 9 is a moving moment in the story of David. Jonathan was David's best friend during a significant period in David's life. We know that. And Jonathan had a son called Mephibosheth, who as a five-year-old boy was dropped by his nanny, by his nurse. And as a result, he was left lame in both feet, crippled, as some translations say. And we're first introduced to Mephibosheth in 2 Samuel chapter 4, just before David became king. Although, if you were here during the last service, you might remember we said, why was Mephibosheth mentioned? in 2 Samuel chapter 4, because in some translations of the Bible, in the NIV, there's only one verse given over to a mention of him. It's in brackets. And it kind of seems incidental. He gets introduced. We get told he was dropped by his nanny when he was five. He was lame in both feet. And then that's it. And you are kind of left wondering, because it doesn't go anywhere. But all of a sudden, five chapters later, and who knows how many years later, he's back in the spotlight. He's back in the narrative for reasons that, as I say, are really quite touching. They're poignant. So in the midst of all this aggressive material about battles and people being humiliated and all this bloodletting on a grand scale, which you find in chapter 8, and you're about to find also in chapter 10, sandwiched in between is this soft moment. A beautiful glimpse of grace and mercy, of kindness and compassion, of integrity and faithfulness that reminds us and proves that David really was a man after God's own heart. Here in 2 Samuel 9 is concrete evidence of why he will forever be remembered in those terms, despite all his mistakes and failures. And for us, I want to suggest this evening that the integrity of David here, his willingness to keep his word, to keep his promises, plus his expression of loving kindness, provide a great example for us to follow. But not only that, what we read here points beyond David to his God. Here, we discover something of the character of his God, who is a constant promise-keeping God, and who continually shows loving kindness to people. 
We're probably all familiar with the, the, the saying or the adage, a man is only as good as his word. Well, if that is true, or if there's any truth in that saying, then David is a good man. If you were here two weeks ago, you might remember that, that David was on the end of a number of res, uh, promises from God. Via Nathan, David's go-to spiritual advisor, God had promised to make David's name great. He had promised to provide a place for his people Israel. He had promised David he was going to establish a house for him. He promised David that he was going to establish a kingdom that was going to last forever. And so maybe given that David has recently been on the receiving end of numerous promises, he's reminded of a promise that he made years ago. A promise he made to his best friend. Back in 1 Samuel 20, 14 to 17, just after Jonathan had been a huge help to his best friend, he said this to him. Show me, this is Jonathan speaking, show me unfailing kindness like the Lord's kindness as long as I live so that I may not be killed. And do not ever cut off your kindness from my family. Not even when the Lord has cut off every one of David's enemies from the face of the earth. So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David saying, May the Lord call David's enemies account to account. And Jonathan made David reaffirm his oath out of love for him because he loved him as he loved himself. And there was quite a kind of time gap between David making that promise with Jonathan and then here at the beginning of 2 Samuel 9. Quite a number of years have passed. A lot has happened in that intervening period. Saul, the first king, is dead. But so is Jonathan. And David is now sitting on the throne. And it could have been really easy for David to forget the promise he made. After all, the key person that he made it to and he made it with is gone. And the likelihood of very many others, if any, knowing about that promise or expecting David to honor it was negligible. But here in 2 Samuel 9, whenever David kind of could have been kicking back and enjoying his achievements, both at home and abroad, he thinks, hang on a minute. Hang on a minute. I made a promise to my best friend. He starts thinking beyond himself. Is there anyone, he says, still left in the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness? David recalls his promise. But even before we take this any further, that in itself is a great question to ask on a regular basis or a variation of it. Is there anyone here? anyone wherever, to whom I can show kindness? It's a great question for us as Christians to ask. This is one of those qualities that should characterize our lives. It is, as we looked at during our Nine a Day series, this is one of the segments. Kindness is one of the segments of the fruit of the Spirit. We are meant to be people who demonstrate and express kindness to others on a regular basis. This should be a growing, visible reality in our lives. We are meant to be known as kind people. As Paul writes to the church at Colossae, he says, clothe yourselves with kindness. This is something we're meant to wear. We're kind of not meant to leave the house without putting it on. 
Now, to fully get the commitment to David, of David to keep his word, regard, and as the depth of the kindness that he's willing to show, you kind of then need to step back for a moment and understand more about the culture of that time. Because during this period in history, whenever one king took over from another and took over his throne, the new king was expected to kill the entire family of the previous king. Brutal, ruthless, yes, but that was just the way it worked. And the reason it worked like that was because it would ensure that none of the previous king's family would decide, hang on, I would like to regain or take some control that we as a family previously had. And so new kings coming to the throne would just make sure they eradicated anyone who was left from the previous king's family. So there's a very real sense here that whenever David asks this question, is there anyone still left in the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness to, that people would have been surprised by that question. That's a really odd question to ask, David. This is countercultural. This is different. This is unexpected. This is interesting. This is untraditional. And so what it does reveal is that when it came to certain things and certain practices and certain assumptions, David didn't always follow tradition or culture. He followed God. David had made a promise. He had made a solemn pact with Jonathan and before God that he was now prepared to honor, even though it would have shocked everyone. He was still, even though very few people would have probably remembered this promise or even been aware of this promise, David still believed. Do you know something? I'm going to stay true to my word. I'm going to stick with a promise I made for my friend's sake, for God's sake, and possibly for my own sake. Nobody would have bat an eyelid if Jonathan had, or if David hadn't done this. And David here reveals himself to be a man of real integrity. And I know some people are thinking, but, but hang on a minute. We all know what's coming. There are dark days looming for David. There is going to be a moral lapse in David's life of cosmic proportions. And Drew is going to look at that moral lapse of cosmic proportions in David's life next week as we come to 2 Samuel 11 and 12. David is going to mess up. But here and now, David is a shining example of a man of integrity. Don't allow what you know he's going to do to cloud or distort this moment in his life. Try and stay here with this incident. And even if you do find yourself rushing ahead, even when I put up that, or even when I said that David was a man of integrity, some of you maybe reacted to that. So even if you find yourself rushing ahead and kind of making a bit of a judgment on David, if nothing else, this should be a reminder that we are not necessarily defined by our failures. We can't allow the dark moments to completely eclipse the bright ones. We don't have to let the negative choices totally obscure the positives. Yes, we tend to dwell 
on the bad. That's human nature. But let's not forget the good in people's lives. And even when there is a bad choice made, there is hope. There is the possibility of forgiveness. There is the chance of a new start and a new day. As David discovered, as David embraced after he came before God in confession and repentance. And in all of this, as I say, please remember that as Scripture recalls David's life in Acts, it refers to him as a man after God's own heart. And here in 2 Samuel 9, as I say, despite, in a sense, what we know is coming around the corner, David is an example of a man of integrity. But back to integrity. Integrity is the quality or state of being upright, honest, and sincere. And in 2 Samuel 9, David was. He was. Despite there being no pressure or expectation of him to be a man of his word. And the question is, as we think about this tonight, are, are we those kind of people? Are we people of our word? Can we be trusted to keep our word? Is our yes, yes, and our no, no? Do we follow through on our promises when we commit to doing something? Can people depend on us that we will honor our commitment? That was David's story. But as we tease us out a little further, we need to go back to look at that word kindness again because we know it is, it is such a loaded biblical word. And as we dig deeper and unpack it a little fuller, we, we, we get a greater appreciation of it. We discover even more about exactly what's going on here and, and more about David's character and integrity. The, the actual word that is translated kindness here is one of those great words of the Hebrew Scriptures. It's a word we, we have thought about before, hesed. It's such a significant word in the Bible that, that English translators struggle to really do it justice. It means something like love. But it's a word that actually implies covenant loyalty. And so sometimes, and depending on what translation you're using, sometimes you will see it translated as steadfast love or as loving kindness. And one of the things about this in, in, in this context here is this is one of the words that is most often used to describe the character of God and how God deals with his people. So one of, you know my favorite verses in the Bible, and it's a verse we have looked at time and time again, comes in Exodus 34, verse 6, and gets repeated a number of times in the rest of Scripture. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in, then there's that word, which in our translations often is steadfast love and faithfulness. And when this word is used here in 2 Samuel 9, what it's telling us is that David was wanting to show and willing to show a God-like kindness to anyone who was still left in the house of Saul. Remember what Jonathan asked him? Show me unfailing kindness like the Lord's kindness. 
And so if you look in this chapter in 2 Samuel 9, you'll notice that the, verse, the, the word appears in verse 1, it appears in verse 3, it appears in verse 7. And therefore what this does is create a picture of David that could hardly be more positive. Because here is a man who is wanting to reflect God-like characteristics. And whenever somebody reflects God-like characteristics, it's an incredibly powerful, beautiful, challenging thing. And for us as Christians, as followers of Jesus, we are called to reflect Christ-likeness. Those who claim to live in God must walk as Christ walked. And when we do, like David, reflect God-like qualities, we reflect Christ-likeness in our attitudes, in our words, in our actions, in our thinking, in our speech, in our behavior. It makes such a difference. Such a difference. People sit up and take notice whenever they encounter people who are true to their word and who show loving kindness to others. And it is possible for us to do this. It was possible for David to do this, not because we're anything special, not because any of us have got it sus. But we can show people what godly living looks like in practice. Why? Because, something we've been thinking about recently, we are empowered and indwelt by God's Holy Spirit. And don't forget, because what sometimes happens is we think, well, David wasn't, but actually David did have the Holy Spirit in his life. Do you remember after the Bathsheba incident, whenever he was confronted by Nathan, and he then prayers that infamous prayer of confession, he prays that infamous prayer of confession, Psalm 51. What is one of the things that David asks God not to do? Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. David had the Holy Spirit in his life. Granted, yes, it was somewhat and somehow different from us post-Pentecost, post-Acts 2. But the Holy Spirit was still present in David's life as he is in ours. And he helped David and he helps us and he equips us to be more like the one we serve. We can show and express God-like, Christ-like qualities in our everyday living. We can do this. It is possible. It's possible for David. It's possible for you and I because we have the Holy Spirit in our lives. David wanted, longed to show God-like kindness to anyone who was left in the house of Saul. And that should be our desire as well. I long to show God-like kindness to the people I meet tomorrow, to my colleagues, work, school, university, wherever. Just back to this story. So via a, a servant of Saul's household, a man called Ziba, David discovers that, yeah, there, there is someone still left alive from the house of Saul. Jonathan's son, Mephibosheth, is still alive. And so David sends for him. 
And I want you to try imagine how Mephibosheth must have felt whenever he received that summons. How would that young man, lame in both feet, feel having been called to the king's presence? You see, he would have known the deal. He would have known the culture and the tradition. He would have known what normally happens to those who are left from the previous king's family. And so whenever he arrives in David's presence, it's not surprising that he's scared. That's why David says, don't be afraid. He's scared and he bows low to pay David honor, but David's response to him is deeply moving. Don't be afraid, Mephibosheth. For I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will always eat at my table. This was a scandal. Don't miss the scandal of this. Don't read this too quickly and move on. Mephibosheth had done nothing to earn David's kindness. And due to his disability, and this was part of the culture at the time, please hear me on that. But someone like Mephibosheth was not much used to this new king. Would not have been seen in a positive light at all as a result of his disability. That was the culture at that time. And so there's a word for what happened here. It's another word associated with that great Hebrew word, hesed. It's another God-like quality that's in full display at this moment. A word for blessings that are given, and there were at least two massive ones here. You can have land, and you will eat at my table. There is a word for blessings given to someone who's not earned them or done anything for them. And that word is grace. Mephibosheth probably expected execution. He receives grace. It's a profoundly moving scene. This young guy, lame in both feet, bowed before the king, frightened for his life, anticipating the worst, and yet he's welcomed with open arms and given more than he could have ever dreamed of. Mephibosheth described himself as what? A dead dog. How come you even noticed me, David? Just a dead dog. And yet, he's given a place at David's table where he will always eat as one of the king's sons, or like one of the king's sons, according to verse 13. This is grace in full and breathtaking technicolor. And surely we can't read this story or this point of David's story without kind of joining certain dots and making some connections with our story. We are dead dogs because of the mess that we are in. We are. I know that's not popular to say that, 
But that's the reality. We are dead dogs who have done nothing to earn God's favor. And yet because of his amazing grace, we become children of the king who get to eat at his table forever. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. David's behavior in 2 Samuel 9 is amazing. It's God-like. He is a promise keeper and a grace dispenser. He's a man of his word and a man who demonstrates loving kindness. And so as we go from here this evening, I invite you to embrace David's example here. That you will be a promise keeper. Someone who's true to their word. Someone who honors, someone who can be trusted. Someone who follows through on your promises, even when nobody else expects it. Even when maybe nobody else knows you've made certain promises. And that you'll be a grace dispenser. You'll be someone who shows loving kindness to those who've done nothing to earn it or deserve it. You know, sometimes I think there are many people that we come across and in our society today who when it comes to how we see them and how we view them, they expect to be not executed literally, but they expect to be judged. We know that. And yet rather than that reaction to people, let's be people who show love and kindness to others even though they've done nothing to earn it. Because the only reason any one of us sit here tonight is because of the grace of God, who is the ultimate grace dispenser. May it be our intention and desire, and although we'll not always get it right, just like David didn't get it right, and next week we'll hear how badly he got it wrong. Let's celebrate the truth that God is always true to his word. Always true to his word. There is always a way back.